This is Mr. Beck. You handled yourself well out there today. I saw what you did with the tower. Thanks. They were born in stable orbits within black holes, creatures formed from the primary elements. Air, water, fire, earth. The science division had a technical name. We just called them elementals. Versions of them exist across our mythologies. Turns out the myths are real. Before. Welcome everyone to episode 80 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host and very, very good friend is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hi Chris and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to Comics in Motion. What we like to do here is we like to review movies and TV shows that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing from the perspective of a long-time comic book reader. And I'll be reviewing from the TV and movie perspective. And what we also like to do is we also like to spoil the hell out of everything we review. So if you haven't watched our choice of the week, then we'd advise you to proceed with caution. And remember, with an average podcast comes no responsibility. And what we also love is if you can head over to Apple Podcasts or your podcast catcher of choice and drop us a five-star review. And this really helps us to grow the show and gets us out there to other listeners. Now, Chris, anything caught your eye from the news this week? There is actually, Dave, something that I think is quite close to mine and your hearts as well. With the MCU now acquiring the X-Men properties, is the rumour that Taron Edgerton, who actually plays... Elton John in Rocky Man, and obviously he came to my attention in Kingsman and not really seen him much, and he was in Eddie the Eagle, I remember you telling me about that, and he's sort of like the bit biopic guy, is looking like he could be Wolverine, and I think height-wise and look-wise as well, I think he could do a good job, Dave, because I think he's a great actor, so I'm interested to see what you think, but for me, I think it's a bit of a plus and a completely different direction as well. It would be a different direction. And and I think of all of the people that have been linked with this, you know, we talked about Keanu Reeves a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? I think I kind of like that. And he has shown in Kingsman that he can do a bit of a body transformation. Now, if that is a, a five or a six, you know, he needs to get that to a to a nine or a ten if he's going to look anything like the body transformation that uh, Hugh Jackman did. But yeah, I'm I'm not hating that. I, I think that could work. And I, I know you haven't watched Eddie the Eagle, but he was really good in that as well, you know, and he, he carries off these different roles. You know, if you think even just in Kingsman, he, he sort of plays two different characters, doesn't he? When he's playing that kind of chavvy, rundown kid from the block kind of thing and then he's playing the suave James Bond type you know he's, he's essentially playing two characters there again completely different in Eddie the Eagle and I haven't seen uh, Rocket Man but I mean from what I'd heard from you he's pretty good in that he even did his own singing so maybe we could have Wolverine the musical <laughs> yeah well <laughs> he was excellent in that and that's a bit of a recommendation for me i I think it's different to Bohemian Rhapsody. It's more musical-led, story-driven, whereas Bohemian Rhapsody is, is a pure biopic. But as a side note, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend go see Rocky Man because it's a cracking film and he's brilliant in it, Dave. So for me, he gets my tick. And, and I do agree with you. I think some of the names banded about, Tom Hardy would have been the natural successor, but I think he would have been too close to what Hugh Jackman is. So I think this could just take it in a slightly different direction. And he's younger as well. I think he's about 28, 29. So that, for me, perfect casting if they do get him. And I think height-wise, he's more in, in tone to the cartoons and the comic books. Yeah, I think, I mean, Hardy could do it. He, he would be close to Hugh Jackman. I'd actually seen that, 
you know, and who knows how true it is or not, that Marvel are trying to have a sneaky word with old Hugh Jackman and sort of say, you know, come on, just <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be exciting. But, you know, with what he, what he puts himself through to get into those movies, I, I can't see him coming back, to be honest. But, yeah, I, I think Tom Hardy could do it, but I, I think they might want to go with someone who isn't huge. I mean, Tom Hardy, he's not, he's not huge, is he? But he's, he's pretty big. Taron Egerton, he's, he's still on the side of not being an unknown, but not that well-known. So, And he'd be in it for the long haul, wouldn't he? You know, he'd be in it for 10 years. So, uh, yeah, I, I could see them going that direction. But honestly, Chris, I think... I think everyone, X-Men fans and everyone else, after the mess they made of Dark Phoenix, the sense I get is just even with Wolverine, it's just like, ah, just just leave it for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've all seen enough of this now. Just give the X-Men a rest in the cinematic universe. And over time, I'll have forgotten what an absolute mess you made of it in the movies. And then I might be up for some X-Men movies again. But... No, let's see. I, I think I've said to you before, you know, when he made his first appearance in the comics was in conflict with the Hulk. And to be honest, if he shows up in that kind of capacity, so they don't necessarily go with an X-Men movie to start off with, they just start off with some individual characters, then I might be all in on that. Yeah, and one last thing I wanted to mention, Dave. I did get to catch Endgame this weekend with the re-release and the two end credits. And if you didn't go and see it, and obviously it stopped its run now, I wouldn't bother. I know it's releasing around the world at different times within July. The scenes were totally unforgettable. Today's episode, we are actually reviewing Spider-Man Far From Home, and the end credit, one of them, was basically the opening scene of Spider-Man Far From Home. So I wouldn't bother. And then there was a random scene with the Hulk rescuing people and out of a burning building, and it just didn't fit at all. So it's pretty obvious why... It wasn't in the film and also exactly what you'd said about if a film's finished or they've got these unedited, unfinished scenes and there's a reason and basically it did nothing other than the fact that I got to see Endgame again, which I absolutely love. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, don't bother. Sounds like more of a a deleted scene. I mean, so for my benefit and spoilers for these added end credits, but what, what was the far from home kind of piece that they put in? It's the it's the actual spoiler alert, but it's the first scene that you see within Far From Home that we're going to get into, where you see Nick Fury in the oh, desert. Right, it's okay. that scene. So we basically, Jake Gyllenhaal actually says, "Doesn't he? You know, what's this like? You don't want to be, you don't want a piece of this or something." And that's that's it. And it goes off. It, it's, it's exactly the first scene within Far From Home. That's exactly what it is. That's that's interesting, that isn't it? Because they they've never done that before. No. Marvel, no. you know, they've had these end credits and then the the movies take an assumption that you've seen the end credits and you've seen it all jump up. But I guess I, I'm left wondering a little bit why, yeah. <laughs> why bother? Um, because, okay, I can see it working as an, as an end credit, but you have to approach these movies as a standalone film as well, I think. You need to assume that, you know, every like every comic book someone's gonna pick up, every movie could be their first movie that they're they're watching in the MCU. And so I yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. No. It'll be interesting to see if they do that again. Yeah, 
it was an interesting thing to go and see. Like I said, I love the film, so I'm not complaining. It was just something that he got introduced by one of the Russo brothers, and that's about it. So that's all she wrote, really. So, yeah, yeah. it is what it is, I suppose, Dave. Now, obviously, I... <laughs> Did you really say that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to that later, guys, if you're wondering what we're talking about. But... Obviously, I've just alluded to, we are reviewing Spider-Man Far From Home. So, Dave, have you got any comic book background for us? I do, and so we've got to focus on Mysterio, the master of mysticism. Now, he made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man number 13 back in June 1964, so really one of those early Spider-Man villains. And I just have to say, brief aside, I do think Spider-Man and probably Batman as well, those are the two heroes for me who have the best villains gallery or rogues gallery out of anyone I think and we've seen a lot of Mysterio on the small screen he was in the animated series various animated cartoons that we've seen um, but I, we've seen him in games but this is the first time we've seen him on the big screen now although he made his first appearance in that episode episode issue 13 they retconned it so that some aliens that Spider-Man encountered in issue two, they kind of retconned it to say, oh, that was actually, you know, Mysterio and he was working for the Tinkerer at the time. So he kind of appeared in the story in continuity before he appeared, if that makes sense. Now, he's created by that famous Spider-Man team of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And in the comics... Since the original, there have been a few Mysterios, but we're just going to focus on this one, Quentin Beck, who we see in the movie. Now, Beck worked as a stuntman, a special effects guy, and basically a failed actor in Hollywood, and saw a life of crime as being a more lucrative career choice. And after his first appearances and tangles with Spider-Man, he went on to join and be part of that original Sinister Six group, with the other five being Vulture, Dr. Octopus, Electro, Sandman, and Kraven the Hunter. And it'll be interesting if we see something like that in future movies. In particular, what who we haven't seen on the big screen is Craven the Hunter. And there's a particularly dark story um, called Craven's Last Hunt with Spider-Man. I, I could really see that being the third uh, installment in this, if it's going to be a trilogy. Now... A bit like some of the other characters, like Kingpin, say, he starts off as a Spider-Man villain and then he goes off and he plays in the Daredevil universe or, or comics and storylines, if you like. And again, there's a really good story for recommended reading called Guardian Devil, um, written by Kev the famous Kevin Smith, of course, um, where Mysterio basically really messes with, with Daredevil and, you know, tries to send him over the edge and so that, that's a really really good story now chris how about the movie background well dave the production for this started around about 2016 one of the sort of talking points was how they were going to market this because with spider-man dying in spoiler guys if you haven't seen it obviously if you listen to the podcast you know exactly what we're going to talk about but in infinity war he does get dusted and obviously he again gets resurrected again spoilers in endgame from this year they weren't sure how to market it so there was a massive um sort of campaign behind the scenes how they were going to do it they weren't sure aesthetically whether they were going to, or whether they were just going to promote it two months before, which obviously was from when Avengers Endgame come out. Again, they also didn't want to ruin the story. So they started filming around about April or May 2018. Uh, Kevin Feige also stated that they wanted a villain 
who had never been on film so far in the MCU. And obviously, as you've just mentioned above, Mysterio was that guy played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, also, it's just quite interesting. They actually cast Michael Keaton again to play Vulture, but eventually they just decided to drop him from the script and the story, not because of him, just basically they didn't feel it, there was any need for him to be included in this film, which is quite interesting. Obviously, uh, Marissa Tomei come back as Aunt May, and I've got to say, Dave, I've got no complaints there, because I think she's great. Nope, none here either. No, nope, none at all. <laughs> now... It was all shot in IMAX. Uh, the whole thing was all, all agreed within Sony. That's what they were going to do. And what they decided as well is within the film, as we get into it, these four what's called elemental villains. Now, what they tried to do is they tried to give them some of the nods from the characters within the comic book world. So, for example, a couple of them was the water one was a nod to Hydra Man and the fire one was a nod to Molten Man. So they're not actually called that in the film. They're just called Elementals within you know, Mysterio's little game that he's playing. Not spoiling anything, but that's why there's little nods there, which is really good as well. Now, also, what they said is, and I, I will uh, mention this when we actually go and review, Dave, go into it, is Kevin Feige again said that this actually wasn't the start of Phase 4, but the end of Phase 3. And I have a couple of issues with that, which we'll get into in the review, because I think that's quite an interesting thing I've pulled out there. Uh, Marketing-wise... Again, because of what's happened, they've released the trailer before Endgame because I remember actually seeing th this trailer for Far From Home a few months before Endgame. And then Tom Holland actually came at the end of some of the screenings of Endgame over in America and said, like, this is the trailer for Far From Home because obviously you knew the, like, the outcome where Spider-Man was within the MCU at that point. But it didn't give a lot of weight. And me and you, if you remember a few episodes back, we actually, well, a few months back, we speculated that, and I'd said, I think Far From Home, and you'd agreed, you said the same, you totally were with me. Was Far From Home filmed before Infinity War? And But obviously it's not, but we, we weren't sure. I think they did just enough on the trailer just to give you that little bit of doubt. Was it before or was it after? So that was quite good. Uh, now also, yeah, the first trailer was shown at the Sony CCXP Brazil panel in December 2018 with Holland and Gyllenhaal in attendance. Uh, but again, the footage did not acknowledge anything to do with Infinity War or Endgame, which was quite good. Now, the second trailer was set a few records. It was 135 million times it was viewed in 24 hours, and that was that surpassed the first Far From Home trailer. And obviously, within that time period, it was the best-viewed Sony picture they've ever done. Now, it was released on June the 26th, and that's when it had its world premiere in Hollywood. Um, June the 28th, it was out in China and Japan. And then eventually it made its way over to the US, which was July the 2nd, which is obviously this week. And it's basically in IMAX and 3D. Just for a point of reference, I don't know about you, Dave, I watched it in normal 2D because I feel that I feel that now I've done IMAX in 3D, it doesn't really do much for me. And it doesn't really further the story. So I don't, I don't know what you watched it in, Dave, but... 2D for me yeah, as well, same. yeah, unless it's something really, you know, there's a buzz about something that they've, you've got to see it in 3D, you know, like the old Avatar, I, I'm just going to go 2D. No, exactly. Now, after this film, there's also going to be a short film entitled Peter's To-Do List, which shows Parker receiving various items for his trip that was cut from the theatrical release. Now, it's supposed to appear in the Blu-ray and DVD releases later on this year dave when it goes to like the whole media so that's gonna be quite interesting it'd probably be an absolute waste of time but it'd be something good to have a look at now box office wise because we're reviewing it within its first week it's difficult to predict or see what it's made now early predictions they were looking at 170 million worldwide over the first six days 
Then they were saying it might reach 200 million, but due to the fact that Toy Story was a bit underperforming at 120 million, which 120 million is 120 million, but for what Disney projected, they've now said it's going to make between 150 and 140 million, which is still not bad, Dave, but they're hoping that projection wise across the whole world within its first week it'll make 350 million. And just to give it a bit of perspective, you know, Endgame made a billion in its first week. So, you know, it's not going to be a complete washout. 350 million is still good. But they reckon within the first 10 days, it's possibly going to make 500 million because Spider-Man, to everybody, was always one of the... Like with Superman, he was like Marvel's Superman in some respects for being within the public sort of domain. It was for me, it was for you, the cartoons, everything, something that I had in my subconscious and being a kid. Pictures, everything of Spider-Man. So I think it's going to do really well. Now, critically, again, brilliant film on Rotten Tomatoes. It's on 93% with, of 206 reviews with an average user rating of 7.53. It's not the highest rated uh, property we reviewed this year, but it's still up there. I think it's within the top uh, five or six. Now, Metacritic slightly lower. It's at 69% out of 100 based on 50 critics review. And the Cine score that I usually use as a basis, which is from the cinema goer, simply isn't available yet because it's only just come out. So there isn't any sort of averages or algorithms there. So I'll try and keep an eye on that. Maybe drop that in in the chit chat next week. But I've got a feeling it's going to be an A. So we'll see about that next week. Now, also, they did say there's definitely going to be a third film. I think we alluded to that and we'll get into that in the review. And it's all going to be based around his sort of senior years of high school, which is sort of where the Tobey Maguire stuff was featured as well. So... Yep, and that's all I've got for movie review today, Dave. Okay, great. Shall we go into our review then? Let's go. Now, we open up in Mexico where Nick Fury and Maria Hill respond to an unnatural storm and only to find that Mysterio has already dealt with it. We then go and we join Peter Parker in high school and we get some explanation about what's happened to the people who'd been dusted in the Thanos snap and they refer to it as the blip. Now Peter and his classmates, some who were part of the blip, some who weren't, um, go off and they have their National Lampoon's European vacation it seems. Um, first stop being Vienna. And basically, you know, Peter's wrestling, he, you can see the aftermath of, you know, what had happened in Endgame and also the aftermath of what had happened in Infinity War and Endgame. And he's obviously been hit pretty hard by, you know, losing Tony, his mentor. And he's also wrestling with that idea of being that hero, being that Avenger, and also just wanting to be a kid and enjoy life and kind of grow up as well. So, what did you make to this this opening piece, Chris? I genuinely enjoyed the opening piece of the film. The only thing I wasn't too au fait with was calling it a blip. Now, they, I thought the explanation of like was quite funny, where they were saying about you know my younger brother's now older than me, you know, because that the ones who were in the blip didn't age for five years. The ones who were there obviously were still alive. They grew up, as in reference point, Ant Man's daughter in Endgame. Yeah, it was quite sort of slapstick, wasn't it? Quite in tone with what we've seen within the Marvel films. You could tell he was a bit more of a younger age, the way they were describing the film. And the, the, But, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Just the blip thing seemed a bit cheap, to be honest, because I think everyone knew 
what was going on within, obviously, I don't know, the end game fight. There's probably a lot of people completely oblivious, but a lot of people who disappeared were good. And then there was the, the only thing was a bit strange, which what didn't make sense continuity wise was the five years people disappeared. There was one scene in the basketball court where they were playing basketball and he shows them dusted and the next minute they reappear. But that's five years later. Well, the, the, the whole world was in complete apocalypse, wasn't it? As we saw in Endgame, so that didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah, I think the school had still carried on. It wasn't complete. It, it wasn't in a good state, was it? That's what we saw in Endgame. But you, you still have to carry on. People still need their jobs. School has to carry on. So that that's the way I kind of rationalised it. Yeah, I get that. I just mean that there was a game on conveniently as a load of basketball players reappeared. In the crowd, do you understand what I mean? I thought I thought there was a, there were the band, weren't they, or something? I thought it was a basketball game. They, they, the, had the, 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 they didn't reappear in the same basketball. It, it was five years later, and I thought the band was playing there, and and then oh, maybe you had some that. basketball players. Oh right, maybe reappear. maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I just I just it wasn't a complete criticism because I really enjoyed the start of the film. I think the only thing I, I think is a bit off, Dave, is. The relationship between Peter and MJ, I don't think she's she's MJ, if I'm being completely honest. So I don't think she's cast is correct. Well, okay, so we'll come back to that because it's Zandana, isn't it? So she's quite well known, you know, particularly in the, in the younger audience. And honestly, Chris, th- for this whole first act, I'm not sure I'm really liking it. It seemed to me... You know, a lot of the criticism that has been levelled at the feet of Marvel Studios is that, oh, you're going to Disneyfy everything. And even though, you know, Fox had made an absolute mess of the X-Men in, in about 50% of their attempts, it's like, oh, well, if, if they send the X-Men back to Disney, they're just going to Disneyfy it. And I think that's been an unjust criticism. But I'm watching this whole first act and it feels a bit like a Disney movie to me. You know, as opposed to a, a Marvel movie, just the tone of it. And th- there were lots of things that jumped out at me as just being completely unbelievable. So when Peter's, you know, he's appearing as Spider-Man and, and I, I've got to say, you know, Tom Holland, I think is fantastic. For me, he is absolutely the best Peter Parker and Spider-Man. He just plays that youthful kind of naive character, slightly nervous. Um but when he he goes to the you know to the back room with uh, with Aunt May, he just whips his mask off, and it's like, well, it's not as if you're in a concealed place. Like anyone could just walk in at any time, and there were lots of bits where I just thought, I know you have to show it's Tom Holland, and he can't keep the mask on all the time, but they were just being so loose with it, and you know, it, one of the things about. Peter Parker is he does protect his identity quite fiercely in the comics and that's that's to protect the people around him and I just thought it, it they were just taking too many chances and I just thought the whole tone of it was like I was watching something you know on the Disney Channel and I think that leads into you know I, what what was the what was the original MJ what's was, what's her name Kirsten Dunst I don't, I don't know if I bought her as well. You know, in the comics, MJ's basically supposed to be a, a, a model. 
Um, and I'm not sure I'm buying Kirsten Dunst as that character. I didn't particularly like her in that original Raimi Spider-Man. But, I don't know, it's, it's just a different take, isn't it, on that character? Um, and, you know, she's playing that slightly awkward uh, teenager, you know. So, I don't know, I, I didn't have any problems with her. Other than, just the whole tone of it just felt overly disney to me. You know what, that's, I, I think, I can't really disagree with you, Dave. I think the two teachers that take them to Europe, they, they are funny. Both of them are quite funny and they have a bit of, like, banter about it. And I, I hate saying banter, so apologies. But they did, they have that sort of laugh and jokes and they were sort of like the slapstick of it. The one for me who stole the first part of the film is Holland's fantastic. Without a doubt, he drags his film through. But I thought Ned was just class some of the stuff yeah. he said the fact that he was like this is two american boys you know bachelors we're on tour we're on tour by the end of the flight he's, he's like hi babe <laughs> hi baby <laughs> and then he's peter, all loved up yeah, peter's got a, a, an allergy to perfume he ends up next to that guy don't he and that other guy's trying it on with mj and it was just yeah i i can sort of get it i think maybe because he's he's been portrayed as 16 They've, they've tried to go down a slightly different route. And I must say, Dave, there's some references to some a programme Jordan, my daughter, used to watch was High School Musical. It felt in times, I, I, I think you're right, to be fair, as I'm thinking about it, is it's slightly that way in orientated. But uh, there was quite a few bits where I was laughing. We, me and Sam went and watched it, and we were genuinely laughing at some of the daft bits that were going on. The only thing I'd say about the first bit there was no build-up to this thing in Venice appearing in the water. So we get the mm -hmm. uh, the character, the, the water character, and obviously then we do get the first point of reference with Mysterio. And we'd have the illusion, uh, they alluded to that Peter didn't want to take his suit, but Aunt May put it in. And I think that there was just no build-up to it. It just happened, and he just appeared. And the next bit, obviously, he ends up finding a sort of... I don't know, it was eyes wide shut mask or something, some sort of voyeur mask or whatever it is, but he has that on, doesn't he, fighting around Venice. Again, you know, if I'm wearing that mask, I mean, you look at him, it's Tom Holland. You know, this, this is what I'm saying about just being fast and loose about his identity. It's just, it is so obvious that it's him. You know, and, and that's what was, was bugging me a little bit about this whole first act. Yeah, I... I can see it. I can see it. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the pacing. I think when Mysterio comes in it, I think Jay Gillenall's really good in it. I think he stands out. He, he's very, very convincing. I know Mysterio from the cartoons. Obviously, I've never read the comics properly, but I know him from the cartoons, and I know full well he's an absolute bar steward, and he, <laughs> he, he plays it. He's very much like Loki, and he's like Spider-Man's Loki, really. It's, you know, for, for and Loki. He's like that. He's someone that... He could be fighting with you one minute, but if he sees an opportunity, he'll double-cross Spider-Man. And that's what he was like in the cartoons that I used to watch from, like, the 60s and stuff. So I think I knew there was going to be something coming. But I do like the opening sequence of the, the fighting and that. I wasn't convinced by the fact that his web would do anything with that water monster. I genuinely wasn't. But it's supposed to be Hydra Man, wasn't it? But, but <laughs> what was it he said when he, initial, he initially kind of sees Mysterio and he says... You know, what can I do to help? I can jump really high and stick to things or something like that. Yeah. That, that was quite a funny line. Because like you say, I mean, what, you've got this big water monster. It, 
it's not obvious what Spider-Man is it, shooting webs at him is it, it, is going to do. Yeah, and and this opening sequence because we do get introduced. Obviously, he's, he's ignored Nick Fury's calls, and he and Nick Fury ends up sort of tranquilizing Ned, and then he gives him the glasses where he just says Edith, and I love that because there's so many references to Iron Man. Is even was it? Even, Even dead. in death, I was aren't busy the hero. Oh no, I can't say. It. Sorry, I was laughing my head off because I was thinking, yeah, I like that. There was just there was quite a lot of references to Iron Man in this because obviously he's got the guilt of of Tony. Liked him, he was a mentor to him, and obviously at the end of Endgame, he, he was there, you know, talking to him as he passed. So yeah, and you get all the stuff everywhere of Iron Man. Even when he's in school, there's pictures of Iron Man behind in the class and that. So I did like that, and the Edith bit on the the actual coach was pretty good. Where that guy got a picture of him with that agent, the, the yeah. shield agent, saying "Take your clothes off," and he come in as he had his pants down, and he used it to put a drone strike on him. And so I thought that was there was stuff like that I really, really did enjoy. And I, I thought the pacing for me was good. The only thing I'd say, Dave, which which really, really irked with me was when. They go on this mission, don't they, to Prague. And they're not supposed to go into Prague. They're supposed to be going to London. And he says, I can't do that. They'll know I'm Peter Parker. I can't. They'll know I'm a spy. Here we go. So, yeah. So, what was he called, Dave? The Night Monkey. Was that, was that the, the name? The Night Monkey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, we give him a different suit. It's just basically Peter, Peter Parker, Spider-Man with the same suit, the same eyes, conveniently. And I, I really enjoyed this sort of segment with Mysterio but I knew that the fact that we're about an hour into the film and they are not the only bad guys. Now, at this point of reference, you know, Jake Gillow's really good, but then Spider-Man, they fight the molten man and he says, like, every time he eats metal, he gets bigger, he gets bigger. And they have this whole shootout with him and obviously for some daft reason, Ned and his girlfriend decide to go on the Ferris wheel and they get caught away because they're supposed to be going to the actual opera. And MJ does the same, and she hides in the background. Now, the only thing I'd say, Dave, and obviously I know I've jumped slightly a bit, is that whole scene was great. The fighting was great. They were fighting together. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I kept thinking, there's a turn here. We're an hour into the film. There's a turn coming. And I'll be completely honest, once Mysterio revealed himself to be an illusionist with ex-disgruntled Iron Man employees and he'd also got off peter the edith glasses because peter said you are iron man he put them on he actually looked like iron man didn't he to be fair he did yeah very yeah, very, yeah. very there was that wasn't a mistake that day the haircut and everything not at all he very much like Rob, robert downey jr and you see a couple of characters out of some of the other films as well don't you like the iron man with the uh, uh, jeff Bridges, one it was the bad. Yeah. Is that Iron Man? Brilliant. Obadiah Stane, a- yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant callback. And I don't know, you know, we've only watched Iron Man recently, haven't we? But I couldn't tell you is that actually the actor, or you know, they just kind of CGI'd him in there. But regardless, it was just like what a fantastic callback. And for me, in this whole you know heel turn, I, I thought, right, okay, I'm in now. You know, so again, up until that point, you kind of know something's going to happen. But in the back of my mind, you know, they, they've given us this misdirection. It's like, is Mysterio from a different universe? And just quick side, he, he does say that he's from, uh, he does say this is the Earth 616. And the 616 universe is what they call it in the comics as well. Um, 
so he says he's from a, a different universe, and so I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if this is a good Mysterio. And I, I know he's done a little bit of this in the comics as well, where he kind of pretends to be a hero. But, you know, this this chap, Jake Gyllenhaal, he's, he's such a convincing good guy. <laughs> I, I was kind of bought into it a little bit. But no, I think, again, Marvel's shown here how they'll knit together what they've done in the past really well. And I thought, you know, the action sequences with that whole molten man, I, I just thought, wow, this this is A quality as well, you know, this is this is getting me in now. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because I, I totally enjoyed the film and I'd, the only thing I'd, I, I wasn't convinced with was when he revealed his hand as an illusionist and he was basically human. I was a bit gutted, to be honest, Dave. Knowing what he was in the cartoons that I used to watch, I, I thought, well, he's only human. It's all an illusion. It's all a stage act, isn't it? Everything he did was all effects. Yeah, they were destroying the buildings. He mentions that in the theatre and all that. And it's all about the drones. And now he's got Edith. It made it even worse, didn't it? Because... They basically just did a card trick on Spider-Man and Nick Fury. And after this bit, we do get the point where, you know, Tom well, Spider-Man gets chased and stuff by Mysterio. And I got a bit bored, Dave. You know, when they were, they were chasing him and he were doing all this, this sort of virtual reality stuff in the building and he, I thought Nick Fury had took him and in the Audi and took him in this big... Oh, I thought that was amazing. No, I, I wasn't. just looked fantastic. I wasn't convinced. You at bored all. by that? No, not not oh. bored of that. But when they when he he dropped off and they were chasing him and all that, I was like, after a couple of minutes, I was like, right, I get it. He's an illusionist. Come on, do. So. I don't know. I just the CGI is fantastic. I'm not doubting the CGI, but I just it just seemed pr- pretty repetitive. And I'm thinking, oh, I can. I knew how it was going to play out the film pretty much from that point. But I did enjoy it. I'm not absolutely making a mess of the film. I did enjoy it, but it just, for me, just hit a tone where I was like, oh, no. I'd rather they'd revealed that at the end because I sort of knew how it was going to play out after that. Obviously, I don't, you know, whether you felt the same, but that's exactly what I felt. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because I I guess two things. One, Lex Luthor's just a guy. He's just a really smart guy and can, you know, go toe-to-toe. Uh, essentially with Superman, not physically, but, you know, he uses his mind. So I never have a problem with people who don't have superpowers. They're just, they've somehow given themselves an edge. Um, some of the the CGI scenes, I mean, a lot of those, you know, you, you can see from the comics as well, where you get these fantastic drawings and these illusions. So it, it stretches reality a little bit that it's all just kind of, projections and virtual reality kind of thing um a little nitpick as well so you put some glasses on and you hear edith well generally to hear you need your ears <laughs> and he didn't have any earpiece in so he just puts the glasses on and you can somehow hear edith yeah but anyway <laughs> yeah. i thought i bet chris is loving this bit because you know he's given up edith He's screwed up royally, you know. He knows that uh, that Mysterio has tricked him. He gets run over by the train, and this is that bit where in the movie where he's just downtrodden, and you're kind of thinking, "Oh, you're stuffed now," you know. And I thought, "Oh, this is you know, grind your hero right down." I thought, "Oh, I bet Chris is liking this bit," but it sounds like the opposite. No, it's funny because that whole bit where he gets hit by the train. 
and then Happy comes. Dave, I'm getting goosebumps now. I've got to say, the bit with Happy, when he gets Peter on the ship and rescues him, and he's in Holland with the Dutch football fans in prison, which I thought was brilliant, <laughs> and he gets a Holland shirt on, I thought was ace, was... I, I, Dave, I'm going to have to admit this again. I'll be honest with you. And luckily, Sam didn't see me. I had tears rolling down my face when when he was doing the whole, uh, you know, when he was saying about I can't be a hero, can't be. And, and Happy's like, you know, Tony trusted you. He give you, you know, the glass or whatever. And then he starts building the suit. And then he goes, I've got the music, and he puts on Back in Black, which is obviously yeah. Iron Man's theme music. Dave, I'm, I've got to admit it. I was gone. Completely gone. Yeah. I didn't even admit to that to Sam when we come out. And I shouldn't have been. But I was like, yeah, now he's going to kick some absolute backside now. Let's go for it. You know, so I was back in then, but for, there was a little lull there where I was like, no, I could see it. Because I was a bit gutted, really. Like I say, just I just wished he'd done it at the end for me and revealed that he wasn't. It was a bit like The Wizard of Oz. It was just a bloke behind the curtain, basically, with a load of fancy gadgets. I'd, I'd have bought into it a bit more when they revealed the hand too early. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not out, but I was just like, oh, I just wanted a bit more. Yeah, I'm with you, Chris. I mean, I, I just as we're talking through it now, same in the cinema, same right now. I just got um, huge goosebumps, and I just thought it was a brilliant thing to put in there as well. You know, and, and again, you know, we are seeing this universe be handed over essentially from Iron Man and Cap. Uh, we're going to have Spider Man and you know, I'm assuming there's going to be others that are going to join in there, the likes of Black Panther and stuff. But yeah, I just thought that was a brilliant callback, and and again, it was it was that point in the movies building his new suit, and I think, yeah, we're getting into our third act now. Now you've had it. Yeah, I did. I loved it, and I'll be honest with you, Dave. They go to London, and. Mysterio has obviously pinpointed. He's got Peter to actually admit Annie because he he dressed up as Nick Fury. He's got Peter to give the three people he told about what was going on, that it was all an illusion and stuff like this. And we, and we know that he's got Ned, MJ, and Ned's uh, girlfriend. So he gets them on the, the Tower of London, on the London Bridge, the bridge, in it? The, the, the bridge there. And they're stuck. And this is where the whole end scene comes about, the whole end battle. And I've, I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, this. I think one thing that this film deserves credit for, and I liked... Uh, the, the Spider-Man Homecoming, but the CGI and the way he was swinging and moving, the actual physics were fantastic. And I was all in on this end battle, I must admit, because I thought, well, he's got to do something. Because instead of calling it the Spidey Sense, which I was gutted about, they just kept calling it the Peter Tinkle, didn't they? You know, like taking the mick. It's just because he said to him, Happy, can you do the... Peter Tink, and he knows he's got it from Aunt May, because all the way through the film, it's alluded to that Happy and Aunt May are together, and we knew that from the Avengers. And, he, and they have to admit it, don't they? But... Yeah, I, I thought the end, end fight was fantastic. Really, really good. It had the sort of downtrodden and fighting bits where he was sort of absolutely on his backside of the Tobey Maguire first Spider-Man, which I really enjoyed, to be fair, Dave. The way he, he was like, he's gone, but he, he sort of redeems himself. So I I was bought in at that point. You are right. It's Michael Petit that. It's just the, the middle bit lulled for me. But again, fantastic setting. And I think... The whole sequence with the the sort of the droids and the the, the way everything come down and, and and everything was set out and and the idea of the concept of it was great and I think it played out so much better at the end. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I I thought the CGI was fantastic. I think, you know, and again, even you go back to those very early Spider-Man comics and some of the artwork by Steve Ditko where he just shows Spider-Man being absolutely downtrodden. You know, he's not... You always get the sense the sense that, you know, heroes like Iron Man, like Steve Rogers, they... They've got a certain capacity of heroism and strength and whatever, and and they just operate within that. And Spider-Man just always seems to find that bit extra. And I just think with the action, with uh, Tom Holland's performance, you know, with with his facial expressions, with his voice as well, I just think he absolutely nails it. And um, I, I thought, you know, good few twists at the end there where he's actually facing down with uh, with Mysterio and, again, with the amount of those drones. Remember, this is all Stark tech. So, you know, he's he's really up against it there. You know, he's, he's fighting these uh, insurmountable odds. Um, I, I also, I quite liked um, uh, Favreau in this as well, so happy. Yep. I, I thought he played a good role, and and you can see as well through the movie that you know he's, there's obviously something going on between him and Aunt May, and uh, you know Peter's kind of clued up to it. But yeah, no, I thought the the end scene was good. I didn't actually see, you know, that the old switcheroo where he's he's kind of there at the end, and you know he's, he's pretending to be shot because we've not really seen a lot of the Peter Tingle. Um, is it a tinkle or a tingle? I, I, I think it's a tingle, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that saves him because he thinks Mysterio's down and then he's actually... It's, it's another illusion. It's an illusion within an illusion. Um, and so he, he does end up uh, taking the bullet in the end there. And again, another Marvel villain with a lot of potential ends up getting killed off, or, or we think it is anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, brilliant end to the film, Dave. Great little switcheroo. I did not see it. I'll be honest with you. I honestly thought that was him. And I think it was a perfect way for Spider-Man in some respects to come of age. I think it's very, very strong, the last part of the film. Really strong. And it's, it's one, of the, one of the most enjoyable ones I've watched, to be fair, at the end. Really, really enjoyed it. The, the only thing, that, again, this little thing that's bugging me you know he's on the tower of london there i don't know if you've been there at all you can see it from miles around you know and he's meeting up with mj there and he just whips his mask off and it's just like oh come on yeah (laughs) people from miles around can see you you've got all these drones in the air and stuff you think you've wiped them all out he just seemed to be a little bit fast and loose with how quickly he'd reveal his identity there but, um, yeah, p- apart from that, that kept grating on me a bit, I thought it was a really good ending as well. Um, what did you make to the to the end credits, or, or rather that first mid-credits scene? I think it was interesting. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the fact that we get introduced to J. Jonah Jameson. Again, it was a totally doctored video, wasn't it? It was just basically Mysterio telling everyone that he's Peter Parker eventually, because Peter's just took... Um, MJ round New York and he picks up for a day and he's flew round with it, drops in the middle of sort of Times Square and then it comes up the Daily Bugle. Now we've never seen a Daily Bugle prop- properly at all, have we? And J. Jonah Jameson, Dave, perfect casting again. And yeah, I, I, I really, I thought great, he set it up nicely because he reveals he's Peter Parker and obviously Peter goes, no! And then he grabs his face, don't he just say, oh no. So, sets it up perfectly for the third one, to be honest. 
Yeah, and it's J.K. Simmons, isn't it? So it's the original J. Jonah Jameson, who I think is probably the most perfect casting you can ever have to any character at any time. I guess you would probably hold up Downey Jr. as that perfect Tony Stark. But um, I was scratching my head, you know, when uh, when the previous movie, uh, when Homecoming came out, and thinking, how could you get a better casting than J.K. Simmons for J. Jonah Jameson? And the answer is clearly that Marvel think as well. It's like, nope, you can't. You can absolutely just recast the same bloke because he is just perfect as that character. So, yeah, just the, the look, the voice everything so i did get a little uh, a bit of a peter tingle myself when that uh when that came up but of course now despite the fact that he's been whipping his mask off and pretty much making his identity fairly obvious to all around throughout the the movie you know the whole world now knows he's peter parker yeah so that's gonna be interesting dave and then the second end credit which I thought was a bit off anyway. I must admit, the only thing I haven't mentioned was I always thought Nick Fury was a bit off in this film, the way he was so sort of aggressive towards Peter and Spider-Man. He was very aggressive. I kept thinking, he's not like that in the other films. He's a, you know, he's a wisecracker and stuff like that, but he was really aggressive towards him. Whether I kept thinking, is it tough love to make him become this leader of the next Avengers phase or whatever? And uh, Marie Hill. Marie Hill, sorry. So, so you get the fact that Fury and Hill aren't Fury and Hill. It's the scrolls out of... Captain Marvel, Talos and Soren. So we talked about this on the podcast and we've both read about that. They've been saying for ages a rumour that two of the characters are actually scrolls. So there you go. Brilliant lead into it. And we get Nick Fury actually on a spaceship pretending he's in the sun somewhere. So yeah. I, I thought that was perfect way to lead into the next phase, to be honest. It was. And, uh, you know, I guess... Because we haven't met the LMDs. Remember the LMD from old Hasselhoff's Nick Fury? Yeah. And you could have had one of those. It, he was off to me as well. Now, I, I guess I'd written off the aggressive piece as just being something that's required for the story. But the other bit that I couldn't rationalise, and I think we might have discussed this when that second lot of trailers dropped for this, is that surely if Mysterio is in... a is from a different universe. That was the line. You can't fool Nick Fury that easily. So, surely, uh, that's why I was thinking, well, maybe he is actually a good guy from a, another universe. But yeah. this all explains it at the end. And exactly. I thought that was a that was a brilliant callback. And I don't know where, you know, where are they going to go after this? But, you know, I, I think it... For me, these two end credits are two of the strongest. I mean, I think the one that irks you the most is the Ant-Man uh, ant playing the drums, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And my personal favourite was the previous one. I think that was from Homecoming, where uh, you've got Captain America basically saying, do you ever wait for something? And it proves, you know, not to be worth anything in the end. <laughs> you know? I thought yeah. that was a brilliant one. So some of them have played for comedic value, but these two both have a real weight and it feels like you know certainly the first one the mid credits everyone now knows peter parker uh is spider-man and I, I can't see how he can wriggle out of that uh this is something they've done a lot in the daredevil comics by the way um but yeah so, so both of them mean a lot so i i thought they were brilliant and well worth staying for oh me too me too so should we go into our review then let's go
So, Chris, last week, I'm pretty sure I went first, so take it away. Yeah, well, as I said, I thought it was a great film. I really like Tom Holland. I think he's fantastic Spider-Man. Always been a bit of a fan of Tobey Maguire in the first one, and I did actually like Andrew Garfield's first outing as Spider-Man, I must admit. I know it gets a bit slated, but I did actually quite like him as that awkward sort of Peter Parker. But with Tom Holland, I think you get a mixture of everything. I think he's just perfect. His height, his stature, the way he carries himself, he's good at delivering the lines. We've seen him in the Avengers evolve the character. Fantastic. Loads of callbacks to the Avengers in this. There was loads of times where the music for the Avengers and that was playing in the background, whether it be sort of in a different style. You could hear little throwbacks here and there, and I love all that stuff. Like I say, the middle bit, when we get Mysterio, isn't actually sort of being from another universe. I think, personally, they reveal the hand a bit too soon. And a lot of the stuff then from that point, when he first initially goes after Peter, the CGI is fantastic, but I just got slightly bored and it just become a little bit predictable. But at the end, absolutely fantastic. I think everything about it ticks all the boxes for me in quite a lot of ways. I like the twist with both end credits as we discussed. So I'm going to send it to Atlantis, Dave. It's definitely not an Asgard film, but it's something that I will watch again and I really, really enjoyed. Very good. Now, for me, I kind of... I'm sure I've said before that we're in this golden time of comic book movies. And there's been golden times of lots of other different types of genres as well. So you've had uh, westerns that were a massive thing, musicals that were a massive thing at one time, you know. And I'm just... I'm trying not to, but part of me is thinking, at what point... Is just the general public going to get bored of superhero movies and comic book-based movies and and just the bubble's going to burst? And I must admit, in this first act, I was thinking, this might be it, you know. Because it just felt so overly Disney-fied for me. There was some necessary kind of uh, table setting where they're, they're essentially picking up from where Endgame finished off. So they're explaining this whole gap of, like, you know, some people are actually five years older because they didn't get uh, they didn't get dusted, and then the people who got dusted uh, come back at the age that they were five years previous. So they do that, but just the way Tom Holland's whipping off his Spider-Man mask at every opportunity uh, in places that aren't that secluded, where it's very easy for someone to just walk in. Considering how closely he guards his identity, it just didn't really ring true for me, and it just all felt a little bit... You mentioned High School Musical, I think that's as close as anything, but just something that appears on the Disney Channel. When we get the the turnaround, in fact, I think before we get the reveal that Mysterio is actually an ex-employee of of um, Stark Industries and he's actually not uh, the good guy at all, I, I thought the film stepped up there from me. I thought the action was absolutely fantastic. I think the CGI, again, takes another leap up again. I think the initial battle with Mysterio where you're just seeing all these mind-bending graphics and stuff I thought that was absolutely brilliant and then you know you get the hero they're trodden down and you think how the hell are they going to do this and then he overcomes adversity I think that was brilliant but it did rescue it so from in my opinion, a weak first act or, or rather not a first a weak first act but just 
an act that isn't really aimed at me. I think it's aimed at a much younger audience. And so after that, though, I think it really picked up. I'm going to send it to Atlantis as well. After that first act, I was thinking Hell's Kitchen, quite honestly. Um, but no, it it did. The next two kind of pulled it back from me. And, and if we were sending end credits to anywhere, actually the end credits would probably go to Asgard because some of them are a bit cheeky, a bit, bit of just comedy throwaway. You know, we have to do an end credit. So, you know, here's a bit of fun. Whereas these ones really start to get us into the next phase of that mcu now chris have you got any plugs for us yeah so myself and you have been doing a great little podcast we started for a bit of fun a few weeks ago based on us watching and critiquing and getting very very annoyed at a show called love island i'm sure it's all circulating around the world now where a lot of narcissistical people go in there and try and find love or stay in there as long as they can until they get kicked out it's great viewing we're having a load of fun making this podcast. It's become a daily podcast when the show's on, so we're getting six episodes out per week. And if you're interested in that, and, and these are sort of little snippets of 20 to half an hour uh, sh- shows. So if you like the sound of what I've just said, then if you get onto your podcast catching app and search for the Love Island cast, we are on everything around the world, and I hope you enjoy it because we have some great fun making it and reviewing the whole show. So Dave... What are you going to lead us out with today, my friend? I'm going to lead us out with the other plug that we've got, which is the VHS Strikes Back. So we have threatened a few times that we're going to go back to the 80s and we're going to look at uh, films that don't really have a comic book connection, but just great 80s and 70s and even 90s music. Basically anything that you would get on that old, older now kind of home video medium. So this week uh, we've dropped Rocky Three which absolutely such an iconic movie and we both love going back to that as well and next we because we've gone for movies that hit it out of the park for the first two we're going to choose a little bit of a, a different film so a little bit of a lesser known film that i have a lot of fond memories of and chris doesn't because uh, he's not seen it now it's going to be interesting for us to go back and watch that see if it stands up to my memories and see how Chris rates watching an old sci-fi B-movie that was made in 1986, watching it now in 2019. So that's going to be a little bit of a different one. That's an explicit podcast as well, but we have a lot of fun doing that. Now, Chris, how are you going to lead us out? So thanks for that, Dave, as always. And in the words of Happy Hogan, I'm in love with Spider-Man's aunt. See you next time. Everywhere I go, I see his face. So I miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were going to be here after he was gone. You gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your job. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work. Because I am going on vacation. I need a suit. A suit? You take care of the suit. I'll take care of the music. 